Hello, everybody. It's the Blizzard Watch Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rossi. With me this week is my fantastic co-host, Joe Perez. How are you doing, Joe? I am doing well. Thank you for asking. How about yourself? I'm okay. However, nothing happened in Blizzard this past week. Totally nothing. Show's over. So we're going to, yeah, we're going to stop now. Take you next week. Um, No, I I kid. Um, If you don't know, Jeff Kaplan, who once posted on the WoW forums as Tiggle and has had a very long career (laughs) at Blizzard, I believe he came in at 2002, uh, because he was originally a EverQuest player who was on a, an EverQuest a guild with a bunch of WoW de- developers, he didn't he didn't know that he would that they were because WoW hadn't even come out yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a result, he ended up getting hired to work on World of Warcraft. And if thus, if you're one of those WoW Classic players, uh, the game you are playing is in a great deal due to Jeff Kaplan. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a lot of work on the original game, the raid design, that kind of stuff. And from there, he went on. He was there for many years, and then he went on to work on another game they were developing called Titan. Um, Titan didn't happen, obviously, but out of Titan, we got Overwatch. The the basic concepts and stuff that they were being developed for Titan ended up in the game Overwatch, which, you know, Jeff has been Jeff from the Overwatch team for a long time now. But no more, because today, Jeff stepped down and left Blizzard Entertainment. Now, that's happened. We've had other high-profile people leave Blizzard over the years. This, this is something that happens. But I will say this, I don't think anybody leaving Blizzard has made me actually question the fate of a game as much as Jeff Kaplan leaving Blizzard has. Uh, like, yeah. Uh, Overwatch, I understand that Overwatch is a multiple people thing. I understand that many people have worked on it, and many people will work on it. I understand that, you know, Michael Chu left Overwatch and I wasn't particularly upset or worried for Overwatch's fate, even though he was the head writer. But in a weird, really weird way, Jeff Kaplan has felt like Overwatch's dad. And it does make me wonder what Overwatch will become without him there. And this is not necessarily a negative, but it is a big deal. This is someone who's been at Blizzard since 2002. Yeah, he's been there since 2002. He has been basically synonymous with Overwatch. I mean, it's it's one of those things where... It's he was essentially the face of Overwatch, if you really want to break it down, in as much as Ben Brode was the face of Hearthstone, right? More so, significantly more so. S- significantly ben more Brode so. Came in, ben Brode came in late to Hearthstone. Like he was, Hearthstone existed for at least a few years before he started becoming its face. But, but so, I remember, but I remember distinctly Kaplan did it as a response to like becoming that public face. That was a Ben Brode thing. And Kaplan followed suit. Like it was one of those things where they, they did it kind of together. I'm not saying like it's one was more successful than the other or anything like that, but I just find it very fascinating. But yeah, but at the same time, before he became the public face of overwatch, he was very much the driving force behind it. Absolutely. And you know, before that Titan, which, you know, had its ups and downs, but if without Titan, we wouldn't have, Overwatch, so it is worth considering. I mean, it's just, it is an interesting thing to see happen. I, I, I wish him only the best. Uh, I think in his early days, I, I'll just straight up admit this. I didn't like Jeff Kaplan when he worked on WoW. I didn't like his communication style. I didn't like the, the way he posted the forums. I did not like him. And something happened after he left WoW. He really matured. He changed his presentation style. He changed the way he interacted with people. And I think behind the person that you hear, we're hearing lots of stories about him behind the scenes. I think those stories of the Jeff Kaplan we had behind the scenes came forth into his public persona. I would agree. That's who he decided to present himself as. And in a very real way, to to great effect. I think a lot of the civility and interesting tone of Overwatch has come from Jeff Kaplan. 
I would tend to agree. And I think one of the other things, and I was going to throw it out there, this is another one of those things where it affects me in a, not an I'm going to like sit down and, and cry and, and or anything like that, but like it, between Morheim leaving, between uh, Metzen going away, uh, now Kaplan, like it feels like we're hitting that point and it's inevitable. It's always going to happen at some point that the the old guard is stepping down or moving away or moving to other projects uh and it makes me interested but also kind of sad uh to see what's going to happen because a lot of the things i enjoy were things that these folks championed um the mm-hmm. things that i liked about overwatch were things that i i know that kaplan championed and and fought for and pushed and and was a driving force behind and especially now with like we don't have uh, a release date for overwatch 2 um we haven't really heard much of anything about overwatch 2 in a long time and now with him gone it's like where does that leave that now what is what is the future of that as well so yeah absolutely i totally agree with you there and and it's a bittersweet feeling like i and and you know with uh, Metzen launching his tabletop RPG uh, organization and making it a, th- a thing, uh, you know, that's good for him. I'm happy he's doing something he's passionate about. And I hope that some- Jeff does that, too. I hope I hope that whatever his next endeavor is, whatever it is, uh, brings him joy. And it's something that he can be strongly passionate about, like he has been everything else he's worked on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely think that it is a situation where we talk about this from time to time, you know, these game companies, people come, they go. You, you can't go expecting people to stay at them forever. Uh, it's not a sign. People are always like, oh, God, Blizzard's dying. It's like, no, Blizzard's not dying. This is just life. This is just people yeah. working at but a company. At the same time, you do not want to diminish what these people brought. Mm-hmm. And and in, in the case of like, in the case of Jeff Kaplan, it is, he is much more identifiably the person who has made Overwatch what it is, for better and for worse, whatever its flaws are too, Jeff Kaplan had a role in them. And it's just, it's going to be a different game now. Yes. That's just unavoidable. Uh, so, wanted to talk about it, wanted to say, you know, hey Jeff, you know, thank you. Uh, thank you for, you know, years of, of your life and your passion for the games that we've been playing. And also, you know, good luck. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure both for yourself and for, you know, the Overwatch team without you, because, uh, again, the people who are there have been there this whole time. It's not like they're not just pulling somebody out of nowhere. Um, I'm pretty sure that, you know, it, it's Aaron Keller. I believe Aaron Keller is taking up the, uh, yes. the the role. And Aaron Keller has been on Overwatch this whole time for years now. Yeah, it's, it's not uh, like it's just being dropped into, like, somebody no. who has no passion for this project. Yeah, Aaron Keller's got, like, I think something like 18 years of Blizzard. I mean, he worked on WoW. He's, you know, done. He did overwatch and he's, he's i think he's associate game director on overwatch too so it's not like you know tomorrow somebody who's never played overwatch a day in his life is you know showing up to run the game but it is it is different it is a new thing and it needs to be acknowledged the other thing i'm going to talk about is a post we did fairly i think i wrote it this week uh basically they've they've done a whole thing about when burning crusade classic comes out that it's it's they're using the phases rollout like they did in WoW Classic. But one of the things they're doing in in Burning Crusade Classic that they didn't do as much in WoW Classic is they're deliberately, even though they're using a later patch, the patch is like two point four point two. They are making changes to to Burning Crusade Classic to mean that when it launches, it will launch with stuff that it had, even though that stuff wasn't in patch two point four point two. For instance, a lot of items are going to behave like they did at release. So crafted blacksmithing items, 
will not be one hand. They'll be main hand. So you won't be able to like offhand them. Mm-hmm. You won't be able to make the the mace or dragon strike or whatever it's called. You won't be able to make it and then upgrade it to the next level and then make another one and use that one in the offhand. You know, no, you will actually only be able to use them in the main hand when it, you know, the way they originally were. And then as time passes, um, stuff will be, will change to the way it was later in the development cycle. For instance, primal nethers, veather nortexes, all that stuff. Yeah. The world boss items from Doomwalker and Kazak, they're all going to be bind on pickup because that's how they were. You couldn't do doom Walker items. We were used to being able to buy them in the AH, but that was a later change. Mm-hmm. That's not how it's going to be when it launches. Um, and primal nethers and nether vortexes will not be available from the badge of justice vendor and badges of justice won't drop in Karazhan right away. You won't be able to get them in during raids. You'll, you'll only be able to get them in heroic dungeons and some quests. Um, the quests, in fact, that's a decision they're leaving in world quests that have badges of justice, even though that was a later change too, because in their opinion, that, that gameplay doesn't really matter because the vendors won't have all the items. The, the vendor items for badges of justice will not be the way they were in patch 2.4.2. They'll be the way they were in release. They're doing a lot of stuff like this because they want the game to feel like it did when it launched and then change over time the way it did. And that's, they tried that with, with WoW Classic, but much less so. Like, items didn't, they didn't go back and make sure items were the way they were on release in this way. This is much more much more of an effort to preserve things. And one other change they've made that I've, I've seen people get mad about, uh, Landro Longshot is not offering WoW trading good trading card game stuff. I mean, yeah, that may, why are people upset about that, I guess? Because they have the, the trading cards, man. So you do know, I. Yeah, and people wanted to use them. I mean, they, you know, I but, understand why you're but if why they're upset. But if they've already used them on live, the code's been burned. You can't use it twice. Yeah. Just throw but it a out lot there. Of them don't, the, the thing is, is some of them didn't use those codes yet. That's actually the thing that they said. The reason that they're doing this is they don't want players to feel like, okay, I've got this unredeemed card that I've been holding on to. Do I use it in WoW Classic or do I use it on the regular game? They don't want people to feel like they have to make a choice. They're just taking it out from WoW Classic. I mean, I think it's the right choice personally, but I don't have I my I do not have a dog in this fight. I do not have any trading cards codes. I just think it's interesting. It is it is a change aimed at trying to preserve a certain feeling for WoW for the WoW Classic Burning Crusade servers. And there this is more than they've ever done it. And that's just fascinating to me because I don't think this is it's it's not possible to give people the original experience, mm-hmm. but it is possible to give people like, for lack of a better word, the Colonial Williamsburg version of that experience where it's not actually Colonial Williamsburg. You're, you're not time traveling. You know, these are reenactors, but they're deliberately doing as much as they can to give you the, the impression like they don't wear wristwatches. They don't have sunglasses on. They're trying to, to make sure they're they're period accurate. And I think there's something to be said about this. Like Epic engineering goggles will become available from trainers with the tier five phase, even though that they were by two, by patch 2.4.2, those got those, those plans were in the game, but they're not putting them in right away. They're, they're using the phased rollout to actually phase, not just content, but items and mechanics and, and bosses and all that stuff. Like attunements will be in the game initially, and then they'll fa- be phased out in a later patch. I, I think it I makes, think go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I, I, I'm 
You're fine. Go I was going to say, I actually think it makes kind of a, at least to me, a little bit of sense to, to do it for Burning Crusade. With WoW Classic, they were not starting from the same point that we all started at. There was no 1.0 because they didn't have a 1.0. They didn't have the code. They didn't have the ability to bring that back. In here with Burning Crusade, they do. They have that. It, for lack of a better term, they're not starting from scratch with it, and they're not. They don't have to rebuild everything from the ground up. Yes, there's a lot of rebuilding. I don't want to diminish any of the accomplishments of of what they're doing or the work that they're putting into it. But they can actually do it here where they couldn't do it before. So it it's it's almost like they're seizing on that opportunity to see if they can deliver on I think what they originally wanted WoW Classic to be, but just couldn't. I don't know if that makes sense. And Matt's not saying anything, which means he I'm using made an a... orb of deception on my character while you were talking. <laughs> I was going to say, because he uh, either no, made a whole lot of sense I, or no sense at all. I don't have a problem with it either way. I think, I don't know if it's necessary that they couldn't do it so much as they did WoW Classic as an experiment. And when they didn't want to make it overly complicated for themselves by having to worry about, okay, which, which version do we roll back to? Okay, we've decided which version to roll back to. But with Burning Crusade Classic, they don't have, as you pointed out, they don't have to do the work. But, but also, they can they know they've got an audience for this, so they can be more experimental. They mm-hmm. can try and actually give you more of the feeling of progression as the expansion rolls along. And that's one of the interesting things about it. Like By the time that we were done with Burning Crusade, it was a very different expansion. Oh, yeah. Than we started with. Like When you were, when you were a group of like eight or nine people trying to pug that last guide to do Karazhan runs... Versus, okay, I've, we've been in this guild for a while. Like we've we merged our guilds, and now we have like thirty raiders, and we've been doing Tempest Keep, and we're we're getting ready to do Black Temple, and it's you know, and then Blizzard Blizzard got rid of the attunements into Black Temple because people weren't getting there. But that's something people don't remember, and I don't think it's going to be a problem this time. But the reason they got rid of the Serpent Shrine and Tempest Keep attunements was because a lot of guilds were not getting past Kalthos, yeah, or or Lady Vosh. These were hard fights. They well, were hard fights that you couldn't just outpower. They were hard. Yeah, they were hard fights that required coordination despite how powerful you were. And we were like, well, why couldn't people just get good? I can tell you a story of why people couldn't just get good. Because my computer was screaming at me trying to do the Kael'thas fight. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a series of still pictures of the fight. I had to point my camera at the floor and just kind of hope I was in a corner. So that I didn't see all the spell effects. Because there wasn't a way to get rid of all of that back then. And it was making computers just die. They were like, no, I refuse to run this. Oh, yeah. You forget now, like, the graphics cards from 2007 were not the graphics cards of even 2017, much less 2021. Yeah, I mean, I remember going into the Serpent Shrine Cavern. And at the time, I was playing on a small little 13 inch MacBook. And that thing turned into a space heater. Like, it, yeah. was, it was bad. It was screaming at you and it was hot. Like, yep. you, yeah, there, there was the computers were not handling it. So, and it, people like think, think of this is a joke because they're like, wow, wow is graphically demanding. Yeah, it doesn't look graphically demanding to you now on the computers you have now. Where the you know ray tracing is something your computer can do, ray tracing was like didn't even exist. Nothing like it existed. You know that those weird those weird models that look all pixely and bizarre to us, that was like top of the line stuff, man. And the computers could not handle it. They they were 
barely handling it. That's why it was okay that trees were like flat one-dimensional objects that you could, you know, if you got close to a tree from the air, you could see, well, this is just like a cardboard cutout. That, that's all the computers could handle. Yep. You know, it, this, it's a very different world well, than it was then. And not even and that, like then, as games that games that were visually more, more stunning at the time generally had smaller maps to, to render or deal with. Like, mm-hmm. The, the most the most often compared to games as far as visual are City of Heroes and World of Warcraft because they released roughly at the same time. Uh, spread out, I think, with like a 10-month difference or 8-month difference or whatever it was. But, yeah, I think City of Heroes was like early 2003. Yeah. Not th- early 2003, late 2003. Late 2003, and then WoW literally came out like six or eight months after it. But it was one of those things where... Like people are like, oh, look how pretty City of Heroes is compared to that. But yes, it it was. It was a lot smoother and a lot more animation friendly. There's a reason for that. Those zones, every single one of them, if you moved from one area to another, you had a loading screen. And like it wasn't a big deal back then. But wow, you could go from Stranglethorn Vale all the way up north and not hit a loading screen. Yeah, the only loading screen when you were in WoW at the time, if you were in the open world, was going into an instance or traveling from continent to continent. Yeah, or if you were heading to, um, at the time of Burning Crusade, since we're on the, the topic of Burning Crusade Classic, going to the Blood Elf lands. Yeah, or or the or the Draenei ones, but yes, for that matter, going to Outland was a portal. Was you'd, you'd go through a portal, and then all of Outland was basically just you could you could travel seamlessly from the Dark Portal to any. portal. In, in Outland. Yeah, and you could just go to them. And we take that for granted a lot, I think, now, but during the time, that was a technical marvel. Like, just being able to have that large of a world rendered. And it, your computer would definitely tell you about it. Oh, yeah. You know, if you were like, I remember one time I was flying across the uh, gap between uh, Hellfire Peninsula and Shadow Moon Valley, and there, there's a point where you are exactly equidistant, and your computer is trying to render everything. It's trying to render the Black Temple, and it's trying to render, you know, Hellfire Citadel. It's trying to render everything if you have it turned up high enough. And my computer would just lose its mind. Like, no, no, I will not render this. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of thing. In raids, there were just so many effects going on, so many mobs moving around. Today, I I doubt, seriously, when this game comes out, I doubt we are going to see the bottleneck that we saw at the time. Because the bottleneck wasn't just the mechanical difficulty. The bottleneck was literally your computer trying to render this and everybody's computer was different. So some people's computers could handle it. Some people had rigs that could run crisis crisis still makes computers unhappy. <laughs> yeah, it does. You know, <laughs> to this day, crisis makes some computers be like, no man, I don't care that I'm from 2021. I can't handle this. So the guys with those computers had no problem. People like running on potatoes, like Joe and I, um, I think I was using an Intel at one point. That was my upgrade computer. I upgraded to an Intel laptop and, and it was like, yeah, no, no, I'm not doing this. Uh, the, the plastic on the casing is starting to melt. That's no, this is not <laughs> happening. So yeah, and I mean, you're like, you're the only one that they can find who can successfully tank Kale. Like seriously, my guild could not find another guy to tank Kale to save their lives. Um, and I'll tell you right now why, because I was the only one who realized don't do any of the trick gemming. Mm-hmm. There was like a whole bunch of different kinds of trick gemming tanks were doing that they would. They were gemming for dodge or gemming for block or whatever. I didn't do any of that. I gemmed for pure stamina. Yep. Every gem I had was stamina. And as a result of that, I could survive one fireball from Kale without the shield on me. 
because you had to you had to have be able to, to get the shield exactly right to absorb Kale's fireball. If you didn't, I could survive it. Just barely, but I could make it. And that was that turned me into the only person who could tank him. Because mm-hmm. I was the only one who had any forgiveness built in. Because you couldn't you can't parry or dodge or block a fireball. If the fireball is cast, it's going to hit you. The only thing you can do is hit shield wall and, and live through it. And that was, you know, that was the thing. That was the, the reason I was an in indispensable tank on that fight. Now, obviously, had somebody with a better computer decided they wanted to tank Kale, they probably could have done it a lot better than me because they would have been able to make sure that the shield would go off. But that's the other thing. That, that's why some guilds just couldn't do it. It wasn't that they weren't good players. It wasn't that they didn't understand the fight. It was simply, you know, I'm, I'm fighting Kalethos in a flip book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I can't get it done. And it, it, this this was the kind of thing we saw. One of the reasons I thought that WoW Classic was going to be the way it was it ended up being was because a lot of the, the stuff that stopped people from getting through Nexramas was that the the coding was so tight that you had to have a really good computer with a great internet connection. Uh, Lotheb comes to mind. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If you weren't just absolutely on, if you had some lag, Heigen. that fight was over. Hygen was another one. Yeah, Hygen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but but that's you know I think we've talked about this enough. I just think I think it is interesting that they are doing this with with uh, Burning Crusade Classic. I'm actually Burning Crusade Classic in a lot of ways has made me reevaluate how I feel about WoW Classic because in a way it's it's I've made my peace with the fact that WoW Classic isn't and has never really tried to be the original game. Yeah. And once you make that peace, once you say okay, it's not original wow it's not trying to be original wow uh and that's fine it is it is okay for people to get to play the older content that they want to play um frankly it's something that they probably should have done years ago they probably should have locked servers and just kept you know that version of the servers from day one for some places and i think it's a good thing that they're doing it now but i think it's interesting to see how they are doing it because there's a lot of times you think well it's going to be like this but it isn't Mm mm-hmm they're not trying to do. They're not trying to just freeze the servers in amber, uh, and that's fascinating to me. But I think that pretty much covers it for top stories. Uh, we're gonna try and do something where we go back. Like we we did. We had like a couple emails we didn't answer last time, and then we have some new ones that we got this week as well. So I'm gonna go look at this thing. Uh, I'm looking. I'll talk to Joe here. Um, what do you think about? Is the question near the the end? Uh, the greetings, watchers of the, the game we play. One is that one we didn't answer last time. Uh actually, I'm pretty sure we did the uh, the hello, Matt and Joe. No, we didn't I do that one. No, we didn't do that one. So yeah, why don't you read that one? Sure. Yeah. Tell people how the, if you got a question for us, you send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast at blizzardwatch, so we know it's for the show. Or you can hit us up on Discord, and you can use our Q a podcast uh, Q bloody heck. Patreon Q and podcast questions channel. I have trouble with that every week. I apologize. Or you can use the Q questions channel. And uh, we, we, we go to the, the Patreon one first, obviously, because you guys support the site. And you support this podcast and you're the reason we get to do this at all. Um, but yeah, Joe's going to read these for us. So if you don't mind. Not at all. Greetings, watchers of the games we play. I have a tinfoil head idea. The likelihood of it happening is probably slim, but I think it could be an interesting way to flip this expansion on its head. Ready for a twist? What if neither Sylvanas or the Jailer 
is the final big bad of the expansion. Let's say in the next raid we hold off an onslaught by Sylvanas long enough for Tehran to interrupt the fight. Tehran gets uh, a kick-butt cinematic where instead of killing Sylvanas, she instead drags her into the void. Flash forward to Endgame Part 1. We go toe-to-toe with the Jailer in what everyone assumes is the grand finale after a lengthy battle that, of course, will include the Jailer's many chain-themed abilities. We get another cutscene. This time, moments before the Jailer receives a killing blow, he tells us that this is not him, or that it is not him we should have feared. No, instead, we've been helping the Shadowlands' real tormentor this whole time, shackled inside Torghast, giving us gear as a way to entice us to free him one chain at a time. It is then we realize that all along, we've been being played by the Rune Carver. Discuss. Thanks for everything you do. Uh, time warp again? Demon Hunter from Area 51 US. Oh, um, unfortunately, there's we, we now have enough spoilers for Patch 9.1 that we know this isn't where they're going, but it's a cool idea. Um, quite frankly, I'd kind of be interested to see that it turns out the Rune Carver was the real the real enemy. You know, was it the real menace is the friends we made along the way or something? <laughs> That's kind of what we got here. The real menace is the friend you made. Yeah, we, we defeat the big bad. We rip off the uh, the silicone mask at the end. Old man Rune Carver. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I, I at this point I'm going to give you some spoilers, guys. Spoiler warning for 9.1 and stuff beyond. Uh, one of the things that they've done is they've started data mining the Sylvanas fight. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Joe's looked at that at all. I have not really, but I kind of knew it was going to be coming in the spoiler, so go for it. Um, well, they they haven't. We don't really know exactly what's happening, it, but it appears that Sylvanas's fight is multi-stage. Yes. Um, and we don't yet have any knowledge if Taronda shows up or not. She should, but I don't know if she does. If she doesn't, we I'm do going to be real mad. But we do know that, however, it seems like the phase one is in Torghast. Phase two apparently seems to be in the rift between Azeroth and the, the Maw itself. Like, I don't know exactly what's going on with that. Phase three might be in the, the Arbiter's chamber, and that we don't know what goes on there either. We're not sure what happens i get a feeling and i'm just putting this out there i don't know if this is true it's but just based on what i'm seeing from the data mining i feel like at the end we're going to end up by by attacking sylvanas by possibly defeating sylvanas we help the jailer execute his plan and the end of that fight is going to be the jailer winning and getting whatever he wants from the arbiter yeah that's my feeling based on the stuff that we've and this is all based on data mine stuff that does not really contextualize itself it doesn't explain what it is or why it's there so keep that with a you know, grain of salt but i do think that it, they i do think we're going to get to a point where it looks like we're fighting the jailer and the jailer wins and beats us i don't i know we know the, who the rune carver is now uh the rune carver is who old man rossi said he is uh all you people are like but it's a different model it can't be the rune carver <laughs> no it is exactly who I said it was. I was right. Wait a minute. Should have just listened to me. I was going to say this is the one time, one of the few times Matt and I agreed wholeheartedly on something. I'm going to point yeah. that out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm not saying Joe was the one arguing with me. I'm saying a lot of you were. Um, but regardless of that, would this kind of swerve be cool? Yeah, it kind of would be. I, I don't know if you you don't want it to happen too much. And I I do think you're kind of. It, you do kind of have d- the danger of getting what we had in Battle for Azeroth. Yeah. Where Battle for Azeroth, up till a certain point, we thought we knew what was going on. We thought it was the, the Alliance versus Horde expansion. Love it or hate it, we thought that's what it was. And people forget that there were like four tiers of raiding in, in Battle for Azeroth. Mm-hmm. 
there's the Aldir tier, which looks like it makes no sense. Like the first, if you first go into Aldir, it's really only based on some horde questing, and it doesn't really seem to be connected to the expansion all that much. Then there's tier two, which is you know this weird one-shot dungeon that again doesn't feel like it ties in very much. But then it's you know Battle for Czar lore, which absolutely feels like it ties in. Like yeah, this is what we've been you know Alliance versus Horde, exactly what we've been expecting. Then there's this third tier where we go to Ashara's palace and Ashara's been a presence in the expansion the whole time. So, okay. It makes sense that we're going there. And there's obviously some bread comes and the Thanos is there. So the, the horde is obviously doing something. Uh, so if you're a horde, you get dragged into it. And if you're Alliance, you're, you're trying to stop the Thanos from doing anything. Cause you know, the Thanos. And then by the end of that, it's like, Oh, the big swerve. It, it's, it's not Ashara. It's not the horde. It's not the Alliance. It's this guy. It's Nizoth. The whole time it's been Nizoth. And we've been doing everything he wanted. And he, you know, we brought all that, you know, Azerite power to him. We we brought the heart of Azeroth to him to open the chains and let him loose. And so that is pretty much what you're talking about with the Rune Carver. It's that it's Nizoth 2.0. So it's not a bad idea, but I do think that they wouldn't do it two expansions in a row, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's not that they're identical, it's just that there's a lot of similarities. I, and, that, and that's pretty much my only criticism of it, right? Is that it's way too similar to what happened in Battle for Azeroth. Uh, and it was almost uh, the M. Night Shyamalan of expansions. Oh, what a twist! Followed by, oh, what another twist! Like, it, it, it almost felt like that. Because it wasn't an expansion that was very clear about where it was going. Uh, unless, you know, you happen to make a, an educated guess well before the expansion ever happened, and then, you know, you were well, right. Well, they did drop some hints, but there was a, is the situation where they dropped those hints, but at the same time, the expansion presented itself as very much one thing. Yeah. And so for, for people who didn't notice, they're like, well, remember, care. it's a battle for Azeroth, mm -hmm. and that means multiple things. And, and so, and, yeah. It, but it's not to say that the idea is a bad thing, and I think having a little bit of a, a, a twist maybe would not be a terrible idea. Um, I also think to a certain degree, it's kind of, people like the Jailer more than I expected them to. <laughs> they really do. But I mean, like, it, playing off your idea, though, just to go back to the, the, the meat of the question or, or the, the presentation of the idea here. What if instead of, you know... Tehran being the one that drags Sylvanas into the void, we happen to have a family relative who happens to be, I'll say, consumed by void. Wouldn't it make more sense for, for you know, in this particular case, if I was doing this, Tehran beats the snot out of Sylvanas and up walks uh, uh, Valyria and says, hey, I'm going to take care of the rest of this. Did you get did you get your enough butt weapons in? All right, cool. Uh, I'm going to go take her back to this void place and uh, we're going to torture her for a very long time and and try to get her set straight. You want to come along? Like I could see something like that happening more so than Tarond being the one that voluntarily drags her into the void. The cuz the other thing you have to keep in mind too is Tarond has an unresolved story arc that isn't Sylvanas. It's the Night Warrior. And that's one thing that like I keep seeing a lot of people forget about, or maybe not necessarily forget about, but forget about the, uh, I'll call it the Termina aspect of it. If you do Ardenweld, you understand that becoming the Night Warrior is a death sentence. That is sort of the, the pay, uh, the cost of that power. And unless you can find a way to circumvent it, which others have tried to do and have failed, you're on a timer. You're on borrowed time. So, Tarond is on borrowed time, and that can manifest itself 
at any point. Because the other thing to keep in mind, too, is we are mortals in the Shadowlands. Time is different for us. We may still march through time and not much may pass on Azeroth or it could go the other way. It, that could have an impact on the de- deterioration of Tyrande. So that is something that could be that, that would be a factor in there as well. Would I like to see more done with like Sylvanas and maybe a, like a little extra story than she just gets beaten and then killed? Yes, absolutely. Mostly because I like her as a villain. I like her as a character. I think stories with her are interesting. Um, not necessarily that I need her to be a hero or, or whatever, but I think that would be enough. I think if you do anything with that that swerves from the expectation of her dying, I think that's enough. And there's enough of those players involved that have things that they need to deal with and be that are that are things that are left unresolved that you don't need to worry about the second part about the jailer going, I was going to save you all along. Uh, because really that's just Sargeras all over again. Well, yeah, and plus it's a pretty much Sylvanas. Yeah. Sylvanas' whole deal is that she wants to overthrow death because she finds the entire machinery of it unfair. Mm-hmm. She wants to create a new fair world. And, you know, pointing out to her that she's basically made things worse in the attempt to do that, that's that's great. And it's her story arc. I don't think the Jailer needs to have that story arc. The Jailer can just be whatever malevolent jerk he is. And that's fine. Or maybe, I do, I do, maybe not even malevolent. Maybe just cosmic entity that has a completely different view of the universe, right? Yeah, I'm fine with them being malevolent. Uh, I, I get a little bored sometimes with them all being cosmic beings that, you know, we can't comprehend. Sure. Every so often, it's fine for one of them to just be a big evil jerk. Uh, and in this case, I, I I really think there's a lot of possible moving parts. The problem with a lot of this stuff is, and I've seen people on, on one of the things I do is I, I, I crawl, I lurk on WoW Twitter and go look at people's posts and stuff. Not because I'm trying to like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't then respond to them and go, you're wrong. I just do it so I get to see what people are thinking. And I see a lot of people talking about all the characters who haven't shown up and who didn't get used in this expansion. And there's a lot of reasons for it. It's not always that they don't have a story idea for them. It's that we have certain characters we we already are committed to using. And, it, you know, yes, it would make sense if Valeria and Alaria showed up. Not not Valeria. What is her name? My God. Verisa. Verisa, if excuse me. Verisa and Valeria show up, that it would make sense. But at the same time, we already have Taronda and her story, and that's barely getting utilized to its to, to the way it could be. We can only afford to do so much. There's only so many actors we can have come in. There's already so many lines of dialogue we can re- we can re- record, and we do like people are like why would you even have Bane as one of these characters? What does Bane bring to it? I'm like, are you kidding me? Bane Bane Bloodhoof is one of the best leaders the Horde has. Agreed. Hard if, agree. If if they had ever decided to just keep going with War Chiefs, he absolutely should have been the one to get the call because mm-hmm. he's bravest. He's probably the, the the most noble amongst them. The most empathetic. Yeah, the the best of them is being. He is the Captain America of the Horde. There, there's a reason why when he was in trouble, even the Alliance was like, "No, we got to go fix this." Yeah, if if he dies, forget it. There's like no chance of dealing with the Horde as a reasonable group of people. And and I mean Literally. Alliance, not Anduin. Alliance. No. The, <laughs> you know, Jaina Proudmore, who was Anna, I don't, you know, I'm really okay with wiping out the Horde kick at the time, stopped when Bane came to her. She agreed to meet with Bane. She accused him of possibly trying to kill her with a bomb made out of her brother, but she at least listened to him. 
nobody, if Bane comes to you and says, this is what I'm doing, you listen Mm -hmm. because you know he doesn't lie. The only other person that had that, I think that much respect really would be his father. Yeah. Actually, I would say Bane has more respect from the Alliance than Karen did. Yeah. Karen was relatively unknown to the the Alliance. They didn't really interact with him, but Bane has interacted with multiple leaders and he's done so in a way that he never presented himself. He never was like, I'm against the horde. So you, you can manipulate me to get your way. No, I am in the horde. I am a member of the horde. I will not betray my people. That's why I'm giving you back this magical hammer because I know it doesn't belong with me. And just think about what that act signifies. So no, Bane belongs in this expansion and Bane has been traumatized by this expansion. And I want to see more of that story. But yeah, there are a lot of characters I'd like to see get some time. And they're not all going to be in the Sylvanas fight because it's just, there's no way that you can't have 40 people show up. <laughs> you know what I mean? As, even like, as much as that would make sense too, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. It would make total sense. But you got to remember that this is a game mm-hmm. at the same time. There's only so much time. Yeah. Can you imagine, like, if if Sylvanas' hit parade showed up in the fight, I mean, we'd be there all day. I mean, I've heard, I've heard people talking about Nathanos and where he's going and what's going on with that. Uh, I almost feel like you absolutely have to put Nathanos in. Yeah. Or have him be in the raid somewhere. Somewhere. That, that I would say, because if anybody has been, like, if there's any character that, that deals with the emotional complexity of Sylvanas Windrunner, it's Nathanos like not not just the fact that the, they love each other but that even this even this man that she loves she is willing to abandon yep you know that's how driven she is this one last emotional connection that she kept she's willing to abandon it so there's a lot to it there's a lot of characters i'd like to see there's a lot that we'd like to see happen with it but my god it's we've only got 20 minutes of show left and we're still talking about this so we do have to move on <laughs> Uh, but that's why people are here. All right. Our next one then comes from Vertigree uh, with a PTR major spoiler question for either pod. Well, I guess we're doing it here. Yeah, uh, I grabbed it. <laughs> from Baroness, newly promoted, Vertigree, Maldraxi Mage Forsaken. Uh, subject, salty about the Primus. Uh, PTR data mine spoiler about the reveal. I am salty. Primus, Runecarver, gah! I'd been 90% sure it was him since getting the info from the beta, only to begin doubting my conviction when the difference between the number of fingers between Runecarver and Primus' statue inside the Covenant Hall was pointed out. Me, an undead with swappable limbs. I'll assume you read the Wowhead stuff, so long story short. We bring the Necrolord's sigil to the Runecarver, and he transforms into the Primus. Hey, we were right. Uh... I get this gives plausible deniability for us not figuring it out, but I've just rolled a uh, one on suspending disbelief. I'm feeling even more frustration, even than when watching Clea throw a man into the maw, because I can imagine it happening too fast to stop. But this, I'm having a struggle with this. Do you think it was just too obvious? Is the real world long wait for the patch skewing my sense of story pacing about this? I, I think there's a possible that that doesn't have an effect on people. Yeah, I don't. And and this has. I did a post a while back about it, that. This has been. If this patch comes out next month, it will have been the longest we've waited for the first patch of an expansion ever. Um, and if it waits another month beyond that, it will be twice as long as the the next longest patch to patch you know cycle. We've we've had content droughts at the end of expansions before. This is the first time we've had a content drought at the beginning of an expansion. Usually, and especially in the past few years, they've had something to go real quick. 
Yeah. Right up front. Within three, within three to four months, there's been something. This has been the longest that they've not done that. And I do think it is completely understandable, and I will continue to defend them on this. The fact that they got this expansion out at all is nothing short of a freaking miracle. And to do it in the in the conditions they were doing it in, I honestly think that that is also related to we're seeing a spate of people leave Blizzard. I think a lot of people worked themselves really to the bone to get stuff out. I would agree. But regardless of that, I do think it is skewing it to a degree. I do think it is affecting your perceptions because you're like, oh my God, just tell me already. And I get you, I get it. But I do think it was completely... This was something that was going to happen. There's there's very little chance of it not happening. I definitely don't think it was too obvious. Because I think they deliberately baked in a lot of stuff to get people to, to doubt it. Like the fingers on the Primus statue. A lot of people acted like the fingers on the Primus statue was completely, ah, gotcha. And I kept saying, dude, it's a statue. Not only that, wow. we're in a land where people can alter their appearance based off of what they desire because anima. Yeah, but, but even if you ignore that... Um, if you go back and look at actual statues of famous people throughout history, a lot of times those statues look different than they actually did. Listen, we could talk. We could talk about several hours about Napoleon and how he represented himself in statue and paintings. Yeah, um, but you know, and he was a guy who was actually alive at the time that a lot of those artists were drawing it. Mm-hmm. Um, with, you know, so it makes a lot of sense. Just never, you can never counter. It can't be him because the statue says no, man. The statue, the statue is a statue. <laughs> but regardless of that, I think I do think they were putting in stuff to, to make people doubt it, to make people question it. And they they wanted it to be there for people to pick up on. They wanted people to look at the rune carver and go, hey, that's that's obvious that that's what they were going for. I definitely think you can feel how you'd like about it. And if you're salty, you're salty. And you have every right to feel how you choose about this this revelation. Your feelings are valid and correct for you. Yeah. But I definitely think to a certain degree. You did what they wanted you to do. Oh, yeah. You rode that roller coaster exactly as they wanted you to. Yeah, they wanted you to be like, nah, it can't be. You wanted you to originally go, hey, the Primus, the, the Rune Carver is the Primus. No, he can't be because of this. And a lot of people said, no, he can't be because of this. People came up to me, not literally, because, I mean, it's via the Twitters and the you know other places <laughs> online. Nobody actually walked up to my house and was like, Rossi, you're wrong about the Primus. If they had, I'd be like, well, how did you find my house, man? But regardless... People were like telling me, no, you were wrong. It can't be the Primus. And I was like, absolutely, it can. Yep. I'm like, nope. I, I am on board Team Primus. It was one of the few times Joe and I agreed on anything. Yeah. And that's and that's when you know we're right because when we yeah. agree so vehemently, like that, that we're onto something. Yeah. I mean, there's just no way <laughs> that it wasn't the Primus. It was too much set up. That that whole scene with like the, the, the helm of domination being crafted. Mm-hmm. No, man, that's that's the Primus. Where else would he be getting that knowledge of rune forging? You know, he didn't get that out of he didn't pull that out of a hat. There's not just there's not two guys this good at rune carving. <laughs> oh, and yeah, my friend Skip, he's also a master rune carver. Hi, guys, it's me, Skip. You'll be calling me the, the rune carver later, but I'm Skip. No, no, man. It's there's one guy who's this good, and that's who that is. Uh, and I do think they also wanted to set up all the stuff we're going to see in nine point one when we go to Corthia, because Corthia is the place that the that the Primus went first. Yeah, he went to Corthia before he went after the, the the jailer, and and when he went there, something happened. So there's, I definitely think that you know. I get why you didn't get it. I don't think you were wrong to doubt it. I think that it could it could have turned out to not be the Primus, and I wouldn't have been upset. 
I would have been like, yeah. oh, I know it was supposed to be the Primus. You changed the Blizzard. Sometimes things can go either way. And I, there definitely was a possibility that it wasn't the Primus. And that's what they wanted us to all think. They wanted that out there. Yeah, and I mean, and, and not to like sort of like repeat what, what Matt said, but yeah, that, that's it. That was the entire intention. And it, it, it smacks of good writing, at least in my opinion, where it makes you want to disbelieve your own initial gut feeling about it because you either think it's too obvious or you think it can't possibly be that simple uh, or, you know, looking for the little signs. Because at this point, they understand that they're writing for an audience of people, well, like us, who look at every little minute detail and look for everything that does spawn a million tinfoil hat theories. And, you know, this blade of grass is clearly red. This means something. Because, I mean, we do that. Matt and I are not alone in that. Uh, I know many of you do because I get those messages. I'm looking at you, Dad Viking. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the fact is, a, a solid seventy to eighty percent of the emails we get are people's tinfoil hat theories. Yeah, you know, you guys, you guys are doing this too. We know you are, and, and they do too. Yeah, absolutely. Because they read the Reddit posts, they read the Twitter uh, posts, they go through, they have people that read the Tumblr theory posts and stuff like that. I think they still exist. It's been a while. But they know what they're, what audience they're writing for, and they know if they give us those little tiny cookies and breadcrumbs to throw us in different directions, we're going to look in different directions and start second-guessing our gut. And there's no shame in that. That's just how it is. Um, but yeah, and... and You're definitely not alone because I got a bunch of reactions from folks and private messages that echo your feelings. Um, But I'm with Matt. They could have gone either way, and I would have been fine with it, I think. Because I I think that they did a very good job with telling the story of Meldraxxus in general. And either way it would have gone would have been a nice... Like it could have been a nice end cap on that uh, for that leg of the story. Like the rune carver could have just been the most trusted lieutenant of the Primus. Like he could have been. Yep, this is this is my my first student. This is the guy that I taught everything I knew. Uh, it's skip, I told you, it's skip, yeah. man. It skips from you know the regular show, uh, it, and I could have been absolutely fine with that. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's enough on that one, and we can move on to to our next one. Unless you have anything else you want to add. No, I think it covered it. I do I do think though, I just want to, to, to reiterate, you're not wrong to feel that way. And Correct. I yeah. get why you feel that way. I do think to a certain degree, it's it's when we have been waiting this long for a patch, it is very hard to be completely equanimous about it. Agreed. Good word. Uh, Our next one comes from Jack Jack. Question for the pod. I've been thinking for a while if the Forsaken are undead who regained their autonomy, but they did so by basically asserting their will over that of the Jailer's powers. Could this have implications on how we beat him? Could this even give more credence to why we're quote unquote special? Maybe. I mean, yes, it could. I mean, the thing about could is it's a great word for, you know, we don't actually have to tell you it is that. Um, for one thing, we don't really know if the Forsaken have over th- asserted their will over that of the Jailer's powers so much as the reason that people got the chance to become Forsaken was because in order to in order to get Arthas on board, the Lich King pushed Frostmourne out of the Frozen Throne. When he did that, he cracked it open. He mm-hmm. left a hole. The Jailer's power was contained within the Frozen Throne. The Dreadlord set it up so the Frozen Throne was the means by which it was contained. The Helm of Domination, the, the, the Rune Blade, their power was being contained by the Frozen Throne. 
with it open, the power was leaking out, which meant that the, the Lich King couldn't hold it. And so his power, the power he could actually use to hold them was dissipating. And it wasn't that they were like stronger than the jailer. It's that the jailers, the, the necromancy that the jailer himself sent forth to, to do the, you know, his bidding, the power of the maw was, was leaking out of this thing. And thus the Lich King was like having, it was like he was bleeding. Yeah. It's like he was literally bleeding out his own life force because he didn't have life force anymore. He had just had this. And it was just leaking out of the frozen throne. So he was like trying to hold it while he had a gut wound, basically. And Arthas, he called Arthas back up to him because basically that was how he was going to sustain himself. You, you'll notice that the, the Lich King as Nerzul was never mobile. He didn't have a body anymore. The initial Lich King, the Nerzul one, could not leave the frozen throne. He, the frozen throne was effectively his body. It wasn't until Arthas came up and smashed it open and put the helm on that we got a Lich King who could move and act and do things on Azeroth. He didn't need proxies. He didn't need Kel'Thuzad. He didn't, you know, he was powerful. Like the, the Nurzul Lich King was extremely powerful, but he couldn't do things himself. That's why he went out and got people like Kel'Thuzad. That's why he reanimated the Nerubians. That's why he the, he wanted to break Arthas. And you'll note, the plan that the Dreadlords had and the plan that the, the Lich King had were completely different. Oh, yeah. The Lich King was not on board with the, what the Dreadlords wanted. And that's one of the reasons why, ultimately, they thought... They were surprised. They thought when, when Arthas was consumed by the Runeblade, they thought he'd just start doing whatever like they wanted, and he didn't. And then, yeah, there's a reason the Jailer refers to the Lich King as a failed uh, experiment or servant. I forgot what his exact words yeah. are. Yeah, he, he, he didn't do what they wanted. So I don't know that it's just that, that we're capable of being more powerful than the Jailer, but I do think that what you're saying is going to have implications because it's going to be related to what we're going to see with the Anduin. Yeah. We've seen that Anduin can try and fight and reassert control of himself, and the Jailer has to basically focus on him and, and bring the full bear of his power down on him to get him to go back to robo anduin death robo anduin a lot of a lot of stuff going on so death win i definitely think that you you know it's it would be interesting if we get to see the forsaken actually play a role here you'd i've actually been really surprised considering this is an expansion where we go to the land of the dead yeah there hasn't been a whole lot of forsaken stuff really yeah i mean there's been like maldraxxus which looks like a forsaken zone but, it's but not they're not the same forsaken thing there. yeah yeah there's no there really does feel like if you're playing a Forsaken and you go to the Shadowlands, peep, the reaction should be different. Because you are like, you're physically there. You brought your dead body to the Shadowlands with you. And you're still in it. And there should be... Uh, you think somebody would turn to you and go, wow, that's really weird. Well, and that's the weird thing, right? Like, Kalia is there and really, like, she's been sitting in Ouroboros. And so, like, she hasn't really done anything. And, I mean, she's not really Forsaken, but... She definitely She's falls. She's a walking, in. talking corpse. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. So I'm there should be something. You'd think like one of the 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 uh, people of the Arbiter's Service would be like, "What's the deal with this?" Yeah, or the, you know, the, the Death Knights are showing up, and nobody nobody ever stops and goes, "Why? Why are you here? You this? You shouldn't shouldn't you come out of that and be sent to one of our four and, places?" But I do think, but I do think you're right, and I do think, and, and I think Jack Jack has a, a point that I think at some somewhere near the end of everything that's happening. Forsaken in some capacity are going to play an important part. Maybe not necessarily the, hey, look at us, we're the model of exemption from whatever his power is, because we do know that undead 
can be put back under the power of the jailer. Like go back to the short story uh, leading up to uh, uh, wow, man, words are hard at the end of the night. Uh, leading up to Battle for Azeroth, when we talk about what happened on top of Icecrown Citadel with the Death Knights, like they exert control over the undead around them. Not like when when those undead break, when they yeah, when they become actually, uncontrollable, when they're no longer I mean, the, forsaken. That's the actually interesting thing about all of this is. The Helm of Domination that Sylvanas destroys is, in very real way, it still has the power to dominate the undead. And could be more powerful when it's reforged, because I yeah. maintain that it's going to be. But that's the thing, is that's not the Jailer's power. That came from the Rune Carver. That's the Shadowlands power. Yeah. It's not necessarily the Jailer. He's using it, he's exerting domination, but it's not his. Mm-hmm. It, it's from before him. It is the nature of these places to exert dominion over the dead. Which would make sense why he's looking for places like uh, Corthia. Yeah, and for that matter, it ties back into that whole thing, the token that the uh, that Denathrius had where he can exert power over the nature of, of um, Revendreth. It's like the realms are tied to the people that hold them, and thus they're dominated by the beings that hold them. The, the, the Pantheon of Death exerts dominion over their, their own realms. And the Shadowlands as a whole, like, might very well be similar in that regard. There's, there's a lot to this that we don't know or understand yet, but I definitely think it that there should be more for the Forsaken in this. We should definitely see more from them. I would agree, but I think that's going to do it. Unless we want to, I mean, the last one. I don't know if it's really a question. We can read it. I think it's more of a joke. <laughs> but but I, I see six thousand in the chat. So six thousand says question for the pod. Now that Jeff Kaplan has left Blizzard, it's up to you. It's dangerous to go alone. Take this crossed swords. Um, I do think that you know. It, it, I think we gave Jeff enough of a send off at the beginning, but I definitely think that it's worth remembering that ultimately these games continue. Like there will be more Overwatch. There will be more. You know, Jeff left the WoW team, and WoW persisted. Yeah, a long time ago. My God. Yeah, while thrived. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. But at the same time, it, it is kind of up to every single one of us what happens. So that's worth mentioning. But I just wanted to put that in there because, you know, hey, any anytime we get a link joke, right? Oh, of course. Uh, so thank you, 6000, for giving us that opportunity. Uh, and thank you, all of you. Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast sighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience much joe and again guys if you have a question for the show you can send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com subject line podcast of blizzard watch or you can hit us up on the uh, the patron q and podcast questions channel or the q questions channel on our discord server those are both those are two places where you can get us as well uh you know we like to answer questions it's you know always something we want to do uh, this week has been kind of hectic so i apologize for the last minute grabbing of questions that i did uh, i'd like to <laughs> take more time with it but unfortunately things just didn't work out But yeah, this has been the Blizzard Watch Podcast. Thank you guys so much for being here with us, and we'll see you next week. 